Today we're here with Miles Stevens, Director of Communications at Christ Church. He's been here since 2021. Miles, how are you today? I am doing great. How are you, Lance? I am well. So as is tradition on the show, we're going to start with some icebreakers. So these are kind of catered to you in some ways. The first one is you are by trade a graphic designer. What's an artist that has inspired you the most? Oh, um, probably Tom Emil Olson. He is out of, oh man, I hope I don't get this wrong. The Netherlands, Sweden, Denmark area. Okay. Sorry, Mr. Olson. His work in brand design was some of the first work that really kind of got me into graphic design period. So, yeah. What about his art attracts you? He would put together these case studies that were really comprehensive. So I hadn't seen a lot of that out of a lot of typical designers. They would post shots and pics, but without context. And so to see someone kind of give a professional, give their context for all the design decisions they made. And for me, in sort of a formative period, to see that and go, oh, wow, so much intentionality and thought goes into decisions that we kind of take for granted when we encounter any kind of design throughout our day. That is what really kind of drew me in. Fascinating. So you're relatively new to Memphis. You moved here from Knoxville, and we'll get back to that in a few minutes. But so this question's two-parter. The first part is, what's a restaurant in Knoxville that you miss the most? Ooh. So in Knoxville, sort of a institution of the city is the downtown Grill and Brewery. Anytime we've celebrated something, anytime we've had to go, my wife and I, I mean, have had to go somewhere just to think and talk stuff out, that's where we've gone. So the food's fine and all that, but it's mostly just a place of memories for me. And so I, I miss having that available. So flipping that, what's been a restaurant that you've discovered in Memphis that you love? So because we don't live in the city, I don't get as much of an opportunity as I would like, because my wife and I are both foodies, to explore restaurants. But I got to say, one of my favorite spots is Casablanca, which is somewhere that I think it's the first place you and I went to probably. I think it is. I think when, you're right. Yeah, when I came on staff. So I love Mediterranean food. It's just always a good idea so in my good. book. So good. And their tea is just... Oh, their tea is out banging. Of yeah. Out of this world. Shout okay. Out. So next question, what's a weird or peculiar fact that you're proud to know? (laughs) Okay, you know, right when it's about to rain, or even just after it's rained, that smell in the air? Petrichor. Petrichor. Yep. That's right. It's called petrichor, and apparently people can smell it from further away than sharks can smell blood and water. Fascinating. I didn't know that part. Mm -hmm. Interesting. How we're wired to find water, I guess. That makes sense. That's a good idea. That. Way to go, God. Hey, way to go, God. Put that one out there. Okay, so last one, and then we'll jump into the conversation. You are a coffee lover. Yes. What's the best cup of coffee you've ever had? Well, okay, it's not a restaurant, or else I probably would have picked it as one that I missed, but I do miss a few coffee houses in Knoxville, too. And so shout out to K-Brew in Knoxville. They brew some fantastic coffee. Their espresso is great, too, for sure. But I miss Capers Coffee. They actually had one of those, I don't know what it's called, one of those giant apparatuses that slow drips coffee down a spiral tube. It looks very, you know, scientific scientific and impressive. All I cared about is that it put out a really smooth cup of coffee. What uh, what kind of blend? What was their your go-to blend there? Uh, they have an Irgachev that's mm. really, really good. Sounds delightful. Yeah. Okay. Well, that I appreciate you entertaining those. So let's dive into the conversation. 
Let's go all the way back. Where'd you grow up? Where are you from? Yeah. So the way I like to put it is that I was born in Chicago. I was raised in Nashville and I grew up in Knoxville. Okay. So we moved to Nashville when I was 12, I think. Mm -hmm. And then I lived in Franklin until I graduated high school. And then I moved to Knoxville to go to UT originally. What was life in Chicago like? We lived in a not super great part of town. And so there was that. But looking back, I was a kid then. So there's a lot of things you don't really see as a kid that as an adult, you're like, oh, that (laughs) as an adult, that might come across a little differently now. So what was really great about growing up in Chicago was that I kind of had a somewhat idyllic childhood and that I had all of my friends living on my street. And so literally across the street from me. And that is probably the standout memory of of growing up is that someone was always outside. Somebody was always in my front yard or I was in their front yard. It was cool. There was like eight or 10 of us and we all lived right across or around the street from each other. That does sound pretty idyllic. Yeah. So what was the move from Chicago to Nashville? What was that rationale? So my stepdad got, actually, he got a job. So we moved to Nashville because he got a promotion to be the regional manager for CarMax. So that took us to Nashville. And I was super upset about it, I remember. And life was radically different moving from the north to the south. But I grew to love it. I'll never go back. <laughs> what was it about Chicago that you wanted to say? Was it just leaving your friends? Or? Yeah, it was definitely leaving my friends, leaving that sort of setup of always having tons of friends right there on your street. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So what did, tell me about your parents. Tell me what they were up to. What did they do while you were growing up? Yeah. So my mom, uh, she worked a number of jobs here and there. She sometimes was at home with me for a season or rather was a stay at home mom for a season, but she also worked for Pepsi doing admin work and things like that. But primarily she was kind of in and out of roles like that for a season. And then, you know, my stepdad, my parents divorced when I was two or so. And my stepdad and I, he's always just kind of been around in my memory. So that's a blessing. But he worked sales jobs until eventually that kind of culminated in really high level positions at at CarMax. And yeah. Yeah. So moving to Nashville, age 12, that's a formative time to be making a a move in your life. Do you remember kind of the challenges of that at the time? Yeah, I remember that first summer, because we moved in the summer, being very bummed out, new school, new friends, all of it. But what was really great was a friend that I made pretty early on who also just moved at like the same time as me. And he was also from the North. He was from Indiana. And so both of us kind of found, his name is Robert, and uh, both of us kind of found some solidarity in being ripped out of where we were born and kind of grew up and finding friendship and being able to just kind of agree that moving stinks and go from there. So we also incidentally shared a birthday. So for years, we got away with getting our parents to go in on these huge birthdays as like combined efforts. So that was pretty sweet. That's pretty smart. Pretty brilliant for some 12-year-olds. Yeah, I know, right? So what was young teenage miles like? What were you involved in with school or after school or extra? What what were you like in those high school days? Yeah, so high school, I was a band nerd. I played the French horn. 
but I actually played a lot of things. I also played the viola and the guitar, the piano primarily for years. I always played the piano the longest. When did you start playing piano? I don't know. I was probably, there's pictures of me as a baby sitting at the piano. So I don't know. Always. I never learned to read music on piano. I'm not good at math. And they say that like, if you're good at math, you're good at music or reading music and all that, that never clicked for me. I was never very good at it, but I did it because I was in band and I played in the Nashville, I played with the Youth Nashville Symphony Orchestra on the viola. And so obviously I had to read music. I was never very good at it, but once I would learn a song, I would memorize it better than I could read it. And so I think I just had a good memory. So music was a really big part. Guitar came later, but I played with a lot of friends who were also pretty good musicians. And so there was some community, some formative community there. And, you know, when you really start to pick up with music, Nashville is a great place to grow up because you get to meet really cool people who are also in music. One of my best friends, John, his dad was the keyboard player for the band Air Supply. And so, you know, you just get to meet cool people like that and nerd out and stuff like that. So so graduated, you mentioned you go to Knoxville from Nashville. What was the desire in high school? What did you want to be as you were growing up? Yeah. So originally I wanted to do something with language. I picked up languages really well. Again, probably having something to do with the maybe having a good memory for stuff like that. But in high school, I ended up taking all three foreign languages that it offered, German, French, and Spanish, at once. By senior year, I I stair-stepped, right? Um, But I started with German, I added Spanish, and then I added French. And I love languages and different cultures, the food, people, all of it. And so my uh, senior year of high school, I went, or excuse me, no, the junior summer leading into my senior year. I went off to live in Germany, loved it so much that I ended up staying for longer than just a short-term program. And it was just something I really loved. And then when I went to college, you know, because of that, I, I majored in linguistics and quickly discovered that linguistics is kind of like the math of the liberal arts. It just, there was way more to it than just learning languages. So... Yeah, not rude awakening, not what I expected. Okay, so I have two questions out of that. First is, what is it about language that you love so much? I think the different. I think I find the different really fascinating in a language and how it's structured and the vocabulary. Just the way people say things tells you a lot about how they see the world. We have one word for love, and there are languages where they have like five or six words for love. So I can say, I love this sparkling water I'm drinking. And I can also say, I love my wife. I'm using the exact same word, but obviously the sentiment is different. Well, some languages have different words for love that are maybe more appropriate. And so things like that really fascinated me. Yeah. So second question of that is, how do you feel, what was formative about your time in Germany? How do you think you grew in that time while you were over there in high school? Yeah, well, I'm sure a lot of people could already guess this, but when you leave home to that degree, two things happen. You recognize home for what it is. There's a designer named Neri Oxman, and she is Israel, and she talks about leaving Israel, leaving home to go work at MIT and saying, you don't know what home is until you've left it. And so to be so far away gave me some appreciation for what it means to have roots. 
but then it also just broadens your perspective on the world wildly. You can have, you can know in your head that the world's a big place with a lot of different people and a lot of different cultures. But once you go and experience it for yourself, you just get a big feel for, oh, my life, my sphere is so small, so, so small. And the world is so, so big and so different. It just gives you an understanding of scope. Mm, That's great. So you graduate high school, you go to Knoxville to do UT for linguistics. What was college miles? What else were you involved in during that time? So mostly I was involved in studies, but I took a really non-traditional path in college. So I went to UT, like I said, for linguistics and quickly learned that linguistics was not just about learning languages. Because if that's all it was, I was up to like six languages at my peak, I think. There's a lot of other stuff to go along with it. And so that's when I actually started to find design. Mm. I've always been obviously creative and I've always doodled and drawn and been artistic, but I figured out that you can make a career out of doing that. And it was around that time that I found that designer that you first asked me about, Tom Emil Olson. And he was one of the first designers I found who kind of explained rationale. And I'm going, oh man, that's cool. That's really cool. And so instead of going to class and doing my homework, I was learning design. I was learning to use Adobe products. I was doing all that. I was starting to pick up just little freelance jobs here and there and making a little bit of money. And suddenly I was doing that more than I was doing school. So I hit this moment where I went, okay, wait, 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 I got to stop. I got to reevaluate, reassess. And so I left UT with the intention to just pause and reevaluate. And then quickly realized, yeah, I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to get into design because it became such a big passion. So what steps did you take to advance that? After leaving school, I got a job. I was a manager at Jason's Deli in Knoxville for years. And that just kind of enabled me to have the time to pursue design. And so I would just start trying to make connections with people. I would talk to business owners, especially small business owners. Knoxville is not short on those for sure. And so eventually I got connected with somebody who was actually connected with the Knoxville School for the Deaf. And they were one of my first, you know, official clients. And I did some work for them for a while. And once you get one or two clients, then things start to snowball because, again, you know, connections build and people go, oh, who made that? And they tell them and suddenly you start getting um, you know a few more phone calls and emails and so i freelanced for a while yeah. until i decided uh, my wife actually is the one who pushed me to to go back to school yeah for a degree in design which is what i now have rather than linguistics so you mentioned your wife tell me about her how y'all meet where y'all meet yeah so we met in knoxville she is from memphis so she's from here she went to ut to go to school and we met through a church that we both attended at the time. And yeah, I guess the rest is kind of history, you know? And so we, uh, I think our first date was going to see the movie Unstoppable, the, the one with the train, you know? Oh, with, uh, um, Denzel Washington? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or no, that's Pelham Yeah, that's one, Denzel. Two. No, that's Pelham. I'm thinking of Pelham 123 with Travolta and Denzel. Oh, yeah, but Denzel was definitely an Unstoppable. Okay, yeah. We'll go I mean, hey, yeah, yeah all right. Sure, okay. <laughs> Anyway, uh, that was our first day. It was with friends. 
But yeah, I still remember that. So McDonald's and a movie. Hey, man. Yeah. That's college life right there. That's college right there. So Nice. Yeah. So from there, we knew each other for over a year, but we dated for a very short time before I asked her to marry me. And we got married in 2012. How were you? So since you dated for such a short period, how were you so certain that she was the one for you in that time? Oh, you know, just that old adage of when you know, you know. So I was so incredibly taken up by what a driven person she is, how much she loved Jesus. She and I could talk on each other's level. We both like to have these sort of deeper conversations or go at length, you know, on discourse, and she's incredibly intelligent, incredibly creative, also big lover of music. She went to she went to Briarcrest and was part of the theater program, an award-winning uh, actress from Briarcrest. And so there was just a lot there, even though we're very different people, sort of the core of the things we love, the core and what kind of makes us who we are, we share. So you've been married. Since when did you, I got married in 2012? Yeah, 2012. Okay. So you've been married for 11 years now? Yeah. 11 years at the end of May. So as of the time of this recording, we are just uh, weeks away. So children, you got any offspring? I do. I got two. Um, they're both crazy and they're beautiful. I have a six-year-old boy, Deacon Malone. And then I have a two-year-old girl, Adeline Clark. What's been the greatest discovery of having children in your life in terms of your own sanctification? I'm so selfish. Hmm. We were told a lot when we were we first got married or were looking to get married, you know, hey, your marriage is going to kind of reveal the cracks in you as a person, right? When you have kids, <laughs> kids reveal the cracks in your marriage and in you as a person. And so kids just show us kind of for who we are by the things that are hard and how we react to them. Those things are rarely our kids' fault when we react to our kids. It's usually has to do with us. And they also parrot you, you know, the older they get, they're watching you like all the time. You don't even know. It's like living in a surveillance state. <laughs> you're you're always being watched and they give back to you what you give to them. So always this uh, getting checked. Well, continuing down the sanctification path, let's go all the way back in terms of your spiritual growth. What is your testimony? How did you come to know Christ? Yeah, so I grew up in a home that I would say was Christian, but did not attend church really regularly. I don't know that I would say it necessarily had the fruit of that. So you might say cultural Christianity. And when I was in middle school, it was after we moved to Nashville, a friend invited me to their church. And my only church experience had been going to like high church, right? These big Baptist or Lutheran churches. And for those who are familiar with Franklin, it was in the factory. And it's exactly what it sounds like. The factory is an old factory that was turned into a place for lots of like boutiques and restaurants, kind of like a mall sort of, but they're outlining buildings around the factory. And so one of those factories, buildings, excuse me, was turned into a church. I say turned into, they just moved in and left everything exactly the way it was. So my first experience of like voluntarily going into church was in this like warehouse looking place. And I'm like, is this okay? Can you do this? You know? 
instead of having chairs lined up in rows, there were tables, big round tables, eight, 10 chairs set up. And it was just not what I thought church should look like or was. The pastor was all tatted up and it was a huge community of musicians and creatives, but who all love Jesus. And I had never seen anything like it. And so it kind of gave me a new perspective on what the body of Christ looks like. They don't all look the same. And that was really powerful. So that was a church that God brought me to, to get me in the door. I always was kind of aware of God, knew He was there, always had some really basic faith there. But it wasn't until I went to this church, it was Journey Church, at the time, excuse me, it was called Ecclesia, and then it merged with another church called Journey Church. And now I believe Journey Church is somewhere in Brentwood. They moved and got a got a proper building, but I love that factory. Yeah, it's a great place. Yeah, it is. But the pastor at the time was the first person to ever just explain what happened when Jesus died on the cross. That was sort of my question. And so I was going basically by myself to church every week as like a middle schooler or a high schooler. My mom would drop me off and she picked me up. And then eventually, obviously, when I started driving, I'd drive myself. But that was the most spiritual formation I really got was just going to church every week. And so eventually I went up to the pastor and I just asked, what happened when Jesus died? Like, did something magic happen? Like cosmically, did something shift? Like, I don't get it. And so he took me to coffee and explained it and helped me understand. And so now I have words like propitiation and substitutionary atonement and things like that, all these, you know, headier ideas and words for what it was. But that is what he explained. And that's when I was like, oh, this is different than what I thought. And I believed, and I was baptized for the first time there. And yeah, you work for a church now. I do. You, you've worked for Jason's Deli. You've done your yeah. own thing. Oh yeah. You work for a church now. What drew you into wanting to do ministry? Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> um, so I was working at. I left Jason's Deli. I was working at Apple in Knoxville. The church we were going to at the time. Shout out Fellowship Church had posted a listing for internships and a design internship was open. And Brandon Lee, my wife nudges me one morning. She's like, you should do that. And I'm like, "Ah, I don't know. I don't want to work in ministry. You know, like I don't want to work for a church. And she's like, then just do it to put something on your resume. Right. And this is before I went back to school for design. So the only experience I had was the jobs that I got. So to have an internship would look good. So I said, okay, fine. So I applied and I got the internship and I thought to myself, okay, I'm just going to do this, get the notch in my belt and move on. Right. And God laughed at that, I'm sure. And so after doing it for a year, the internship turned into a part-time job offer, which I took. And a year after that, it turned into a full-time job offer, which I took. And with every passing year, I felt this deeper and deeper and deeper investment in the church and I did not expect that. You were in Knoxville. Now you're in Memphis. What's the bridge there? How did you get to Memphis? Um, it was family. We knew for some years 
that as family aged and then as, you know, my wife is one of six and so she's the oldest of six. And so as her siblings were getting older, we didn't want to miss more there. So sort of on both ends of the spectrum, the younger members of the family and the older members of the family, we knew that this is somewhere we wanted to end up, especially for our kids too, for them to have a closer relationship with their family. And it's hard to do that when you're six hours away. So that was sort of the driving factor of why we made that decision. So what brought you to Christchurch then? Grant Caldwell, our now uh, discipleship pastor, he and I were interns together at that internship program in Knoxville. And we kept in touch over the years. And he kind of knew that Memphis was sort of on our radar for a number of years. And so he would keep his ear to the ground. But eventually something opened up here. And so that's when he kind of gave me a little inside baseball and said, hey, you should uh, go for it. And here we are. There we are. And now I get to work with a very good friend. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So last question. What excites you most about your role here at Christchurch? Oh, there's a lot that excites me about my role here. Tell it all. We're sort of in this moment in the church, little C and big C, where a lot is shifting. I think we can all feel a lot of change happening here. And so to get to be a part of what God is doing and how God is moving, both through His entire church and in this context of the this expression of the local church here at Christchurch, is really exciting. I love to take things and make them real. And so we have a staff that is growing, and we have a lot of newer folks coming in to both leadership positions and and pastoral positions and things like that. And so to get to work with people who are coming in with a lot of fresh new ideas and to get to sit down and talk about it and then figure out how to make it happen and make it real, I love that stuff. And to do it all for the kingdom and to get to support leaders and their visions— I just love doing that. And so to get to come to work and get paid to do that every day is pretty sweet. And so I'm also a creative person, though, and there's plenty to work with here at Christchurch of ways to be creative in expressing what God's giving all of our leaders. It's a it's a sandbox in a lot of ways, the church is, where you're kind of having to constantly pivot and rethink and reevaluate. And this is what we did last year. What can we do this year to take it to the next step? Whether that's how big something is or asking the question, how are we reaching people? And kind of prayerfully entering into that conversation and into those, you know, meetings and kind of problem solving. That's great. Well, Miles, on behalf of the congregation, we'd just like to say thank you for your service to the church. Thank you for all that you've done. We appreciate it, and we appreciate you for sharing today. Thank you. Thanks, Lance.